0: In the studio in Sun City, Arizona, Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron, the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now, here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today. Whether you're in the western U.S. where I happen to be and you're having a cup of coffee or you're on the East Coast getting ready for lunch or in Europe where our guest is and you're pouring a glass of wine or you're listening to the archive of the show, I'm sure you'll be glad that you joined us and we're glad you joined us. I have many questions for our guests and we welcome questions from you and our other listeners. We'll talk more about the ways of doing that. The easiest is the chat window below the radio player, where you can put in a, uh, uh, a question or a comment, or whatever, and we will then kind of time it into the show in the appropriate place. Our topic today is Forex trading. And for those of you who didn't read the introduction to the show, I realized I should make sure that you do not think that Forex is a rating for something more perverted than X. No, this show has no sexually explicit content. We'll be talking about Forex, spelled F-O-R-E-X. It's actually a broadly accepted abbreviation for the term foreign exchange. And I guess people are just too lazy to say foreign exchange, so we use the term Forex. So we'll be talking about trading currencies. So for those of you in the U.S. or even in the Eurozone, you may be wondering whether this topic is even relevant to you. It certainly is. By the end of the show, I'm sure you'll be convinced it's not just relevant, but critical to understand your currency risk. Now, this show is a continuation of our series on alternative investments. Our special guest today will be uh, Stanley Urban. He's a financial executive based in Poland. Uh, He doesn't do forex trading for investment or speculation. He does it because his role as CFO or finance director at various companies requires it. Now, regular listeners to the Wealth DNA Radio Show know that our objective is to help one million people become millionaires, and I certainly hope you'll be one of those millionaires or multimillionaires By learning from my experience as well as from our talented guests who bring lots of experience, Stan Urban certainly fits that profile. Now, as I often do, I'd like to put Forex trading into context versus other investments you might have or should have in your portfolio. While listening to the news in the last few days, two examples stood out, so I'll use those. The first was the 347th anniversary, way back when, of the Great Fire in London back in 1666. Now, none of us were around back then, but in just three days and three nights, about 90% of the 80,000 homes plus 87 churches and cathedrals in London burned. The fire spread so rapidly, many residents had to escape by boat or swim to safety on the Thames River. And they certainly couldn't stay with their neighbors while their house was rebuilt. Their neighbors also lost their homes. Now, hold that thought in mind The second item in the news is the discussion and commentary about the use of chemical weapons in Syria, and specifically whether Western nations would strike against the Syrian government for violating an international convention banning the use of those chemical weapons. Both of these situations involve risk. Certainly those residents of London never expected to be homeless and their whole city destroyed, Now, even if the thought had crossed their minds, they had no idea it would be in September of 1666. Today, we'd be thinking about what we could do to protect ourselves against such an occurrence, and we wonder how many of those people were insured against that loss. Probably very few. The situation in Syria, on the other hand, isn't a surprise. It's been brewing for many years. So as a result, investors have more time to hedge those risks or take advantage of them in their investing. Now, one of the risks associated with Syria involves currencies and thus forex. See, in times of uncertainty or during a war, there tends to be a weakening of non-reserve currencies and a strengthening of reserve currencies, most notably The US dollar. Now, incidentally, we would also expect US interest rates, especially on Treasury bills, to decrease if an attack does occur. Which reminds me of a third topic, and this is a prediction. It will be in the news this week, September 11th the 12th anniversary of the airplane bombing of the World Trade Center in New York City. Now, as I thought about these three news stories, wouldn't it be ironic if the Western countries decided to start the attacks on Syria September 11th? If that happens, just remember you heard it first on Wealth DNA Radio. Today is September 9th, 2013. It's 9.05 a.m. in Arizona, 12.05 p.m. on the east coast and 1805 in continental europe it's the only day I ever like it so we'll do everything possible to make it a good one you're listening to the wealth dna radio show i'm your host ron naraki the show airs every second and fourth monday at nine o'clock a.m. in arizona i certainly hope you can each time, uh, join us each time we air but if you miss a show like the earlier ones on alternative investments you can find them on the archives just go to www.wealthdna. where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived, and there you'll find all the shows on alternative investments and many others. Now, we welcome your comments and questions during the show. We recommend using that chat window at the bottom of the radio player, or you can call in. Our producer will put you through the call-in number, 917-388-4162, which is also shown at the top of the screen. Now, by the way, the U.S. equity markets, after a yo-yo couple of weeks down and then up, are up uh, actually pretty dramatically today. Uh, Asia was up very dramatically from half a percent up to over 3%, and that's big. Europe was uh, just closed, by the way. It was mixed, and Brazil is up. Seems like a very optimistic Monday. Don't you wonder why? Mm -hmm. Now, given our topic today, I should add one more thing. That in the currency markets since our last show, in that two weeks, We've seen a 1.7 percent weakening or decline of the euro versus the U.S. dollar, a one and a half percent weakening of the yen versus the dollar, and the Polish zloty weakened 2.7 percent for the versus the U.S. dollar. And, of course, I could complicate it much more by comparing these or other currencies versus the euro. Because the question is always, weakened compared to what? Or strengthened compared to what? Now, where are these currencies headed? And should we be worried? Well, let's bring on someone who deals with various currencies and looks at ways to hedge currency risk. Our special guest today is Stanley Urban, who grew up in Detroit, which also has been in the news recently due to the recent bankruptcy filing. And certainly, you realize I'm talking about the city of Detroit filing bankruptcy, not Stan Urban, who is successful, well-regarded financial executive living and working in what we now know as New Europe since 1991. So he was dealing with European currencies many years before the euro was even introduced. He started his career as an auditor and consultant at Coopers & Librand, then as controller and treasurer at Howington Northern, prior to moving to Poland as the CFO of Thompson Polcolor, which uh, was owned by RCA, then Deputy CFO at the Polish Telephone Company, uh, the National Telephone Company, and now the Chief or the Financial Officer at IMS Polska, and I'm sure he tell us a little bit about it. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Stan Urban. Welcome, Stan. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Uh, good morning or
1: good evening, wherever your time zone may be. That's that's a fair point. Uh, I gave a brief overview of background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party?
2: Uh, Well, usually the cocktail parties I attend are over here, and uh, they generally, before I'm able to tell anyone anything, they ask, uh, How long have you been here? (laughs) And I said, Or why did you come here? And I would say that, Well, I had a two year assignment with RCA. And it isn't because uh, I can't count as a CPA, but I've been here for 22 years. Uh, there's always been something new. There's always been an additional investment, uh, uh, a, a new line, a new plant, uh, a new acquisition, um, you know, an opportunity for growth. And if it wasn't in, with one company, it would be with another one. Uh, change. Change is probably the biggest uh, description, that I'm uh, very adaptable and uh, ready for change, and quite often I'm the one who's uh, initiating
1: the change. Well, let's start with uh, uh, being adaptable. Are you in Warsaw, Poland today, or Bidgorsk, or somewhere else?
2: Actually, I'm in Stitno. The the IMS group that I work for um, Mm -hmm. is is a a group of uh, former state-owned furniture manufacturers. And one of the locations is in Szczyzna, which is in more East Poland.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it may be famous or infamous for a um, a landing zone, an airport that was quoted as being uh, associated with the transport of uh, some detainees that have ended up on uh, on the island of Cuba uh Guantanamo but, mm-hmm. yes, yes, now Guantanamo, but uh they were apparently uh they went through this airport uh, supposedly, and uh I am located just about six miles away from there um but this is a this is a, a factory that makes uh solid furniture it's very interesting that the wood the wood comes from oregon it's uh uh no kidding Red, red alder that comes from Oregon and southern Washington state and is, uh, processed in China and, uh, and ends up here. So in terms of, uh, you know, the subject matter, foreign exchange, um, I do have some exposure either in U.S. dollar, um, purchase of wood or in, uh, renminbi, Chinese, uh, processing costs. Uh, for the landing of the materials for which uh, we make, uh, you know, famous Polish uh, furniture.
1: How about that? Now, vast majority of listeners don't know Poland very well. Uh, I mentioned Bydgoszcz. I assume that's where IMS is actually headquartered, uh, versus know where you happen to be at the moment. Where, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about what type of city Bydgoszcz is, because it's one of those places probably most people have never heard of, or at least have no freaking idea which part of the country it's in is it north south east west uh and and what uh you know what's it known for
2: it's uh Bidgush was the furniture capital of uh poland it's sort of like the north carolina uh okay i don't know whether north carolina is still the furniture capital but uh um, it uh Biduos has a number of uh uh furniture manufacturers uh, there's a huge forest uh, around the city, in the city, and uh, the city is known for change because it, uh, at one time before 1920, was part of Prussia, then it became Poland, then 1939 uh, changed again. The name of the city changed from uh, from Bromberg to Vidgush to Bromberg, back to Vidgush in a matter of um, 35 years, so... Uh, a lot of change and a lot of change going on now there is a there is a famous uh uh company that manufactures uh uh high speed transportation equipment buses that are used at international european airports uh, mm-hmm. uh I was surprised to see the bus in uh, in, in the Frankfurt airport uh, you would think you'd, you'd come up with some german made uh Sure, a uh, bus, but actually it was uh it was a bus made in, in Bidgrut, so
1: hmm. uh, See, a, we learned a little bit of geography in the process <clears throat> in fact, in fact, uh Bidgust was during
2: the war it had the largest uh, munitions plant in the Third Reich um it was a plant it was all underground, and there is a um, industrial park today being built. And as they uh, break the ground, they uncover additional underground uh, munitions facilities. In fact, uh, the city uh, has gone out and uh, created an underground museum with a uh, two and a half three-hour tour, a guided hmm. tour um, that's underway, and, and the name of the museum is called the Explosium) so <laughs> a little known fact and during the war the allies were were unsuccessful in bombing it because essentially there was a forest on top of right. um, on top of this munitions plant the largest in the in the third Reich.
1: hmm all right so it was well, definitely well hidden but i can understand why furniture would be in a uh, you know near a forest so that makes a lot of sense now stand back when you and i first met back in the early 1990s we had several things in common common, including the fact we were both billionaires at the time. Now, unfortunately, both of us, uh, our fortunes are a little bit smaller due to really a forex change. Hopefully, that little tidbit might just kind of pique the curiosity of some of our listeners and to see what we learned from uh, losing out on our billions and uh, being much uh, humbler folks today. Uh, what, uh, What comes back to mind when you think of those early 1990s? Uh, the, let's let's get the story straight about this uh, millionaire billionaire
2: business. Uh, okay, actually, let's do uh, that. What happened was because of this this hyperinflationary environment that existed and in fact uh uh the inflation in 1990 was uh, over 500%. Correct. Um and as a and as a result the, the currency and you may, some people may remember those old Italian movies where somebody would buy a cup of coffee for uh, fifteen thousand lira. Uh, well, mm-hmm. it was, it was sim- similar to that uh, here in Poland. Uh, in fact, I still have the T-shirt that I bought in uh, 1991 or 92 that said, "I made my first million in Poland," and it had a banknote which was one million zlotys. Mm-hmm. Which was at that time worth about a hundred dollars. Correct. Uh, which a hundred dollars is still a lot of money to a lot of some people. So uh, it, what happened in uh, I think it was '94? There was a '94. Uh, there was a revaluation, and basically people said, "Look, th- you know, we're going to confusing people here with all these zeros, and let's just lob off four of them." So uh, what was uh, what was uh, a millions worth is one day turned out to be a hundreds worth is uh, the next day. Uh, essentially, people just wiped off four zeros off of everything that cost, and therefore the it was a psychological supposedly it was a psychological effort to to uh, stop the, this inflationary trend. But we all know that what happened in Poland when they turned their back on on communism and went to a free market economy, the market Mm -hmm. dictated the costs. And as a result, the costs were what they were, and they were skyrocketing. They became realistic. It isn't like in the... uh, Weimar days in Germany before uh, during the Depression, where right. you needed a wheelbarrow of uh, Deutschmarks to to buy a, a loaf of bread, um, and it never got to the point in Poland where you got into bartering, where you know doctors and dentists would not take money but would you know butter, eggs, uh, cheese. Uh, it never got to that, um, but. Uh, it became very cumbersome from a, from a, a financial management standpoint uh, to deal with, with these numbers. Uh, so that was a revalorization. Uh, we got rid of the zeros, and uh, that very interesting part of the history went by. Uh, this professor, Professor Balcerovic, who was also uh, a uh, uh, minister of finance, one of the first ministers of finance, uh, after the changes in Poland was very instrumental in it's called the big bang theory that he just said you know what it costs is what it costs and um we we abandoned uh, price controls, although certain industries did have uh, there were quirks in the law you can you can say that uh, the free market economy is in place but when you come from a previously centrally planned economy, some of those things will take years to work their way out. Uh, Correct. They're I kind said, of part of your just, second
1: nature, yeah.
2: It was I was I was part of um the RCA group and we made color television sets, uh mm-hmm. color picture tubes, uh back when they had CRT tubes. And uh essentially during martial law in Poland in nineteen eighty one they They had price controls, and um, apparently no one had bothered to remove the economic provisions of some of these martial law state run industries and uh The bigger the company, the bigger controls existed on them
1: mm-hmm. so uh, we
2: we were uh, we were fined for uh, um, no changing prices increase and we and we did not only increase prices we sometimes decreased prices and the decreases all came about through foreign exchange the uh, ah. the polish currency was not readily convertible in 91 92 93 and point. as a result the, the 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 product we we produced a color picture tube was treated very much as a commodity, a commodity that in the West was purchased at in French franc or or in in Deutschmark, and in um, in the East uh, we would sell, believe it or not, we would sell color picture tubes to uh, uh, to Taiwan. We would sell those in <laughs> U.S. dollars, um, and as a result, uh, we we did have we did have some. Uh, protection against this hyperinflation because we knew we would be able to sell in that foreign currency that theoretically was a hedge quote unquote against inflation um now what happened is the the currencies go up and down and uh, nobody nobody penalized us for uh for um actually increasing or decreasing the prices we were only penalized for changing the prices uh, because under martial law, strict, centrally planned economy, um, you could not make those changes. And unfortunately, those provisions and and the name of our company, which was no longer a state-owned company because at that time, uh, Thompson Consumer Electronics had made a more than 50% acquisition of the company, uh mm-hmm. they never got around to changing uh the names of the companies that were
1: uh controlled by this so interesting it's a, yeah, the, it's a
2: strange quirk very... but one that uh, has a consequence of demonstrating that the fact that I was able to sell in deutschmark or in us dollars sort of protected me because uh, um, I'm sure we'll talk about natural hedges, and I'm a Absolutely. strong believer of that. Only, only if you're fortunate enough to find yourself in such a situation. Uh, not every, not, exactly. not, not many domestic producers
1: are. It's it's generally exporters that are that benefit from this. Now you talked a little bit of course the legal environment's changed pretty dramatically but how about on the financial markets and currencies you know what have you seen in those 22 years give us kind of a brief overview
2: Well the first the first um forward contract I made was in other words I I bought a foreign currency in the future mm-hmm. at a future for a future date because I knew that one of my foreign currency obligations would come due that day, right? And and I may or may not have that particular foreign currency available to fulfill that obligation. So when we talk about financial instruments, before that, I talk about uh, risk, about how do I manage or eliminate or reduce the risk that I may be subjecting to a company's operations. The company operates by purchasing uh, certain products or commodities in their production process and in a foreign currency and just wants to make sure that that foreign currency will not double in price, will not double in, in value, thereby ca- causing the input of what I'm manufacturing to double in cost. Uh, we are not in the business of financial markets. We are in the business of either making furniture, making colored picture tubes, or providing uh, uh, telephone, internet, mobile uh, services. And and as a result, we don't want to be involved in in these foreign exchange decisions. But unfortunately, uh, some people in the beginning thought, Well, gee, this is too complicated. I better not do anything. The fact that you decided not to do something, you've already cast your lot. And all of a sudden you're now you're going with the wind, you're going with the market, and where it will land is where you will land. So Very from a risk Very management standpoint, standpoint, from a risk management standpoint, all I was attempting to do was to minimize the risk you know cut my losses because for example when we had this 500% uh, inflation um and my French parent company would would uh, you know revalue my balance sheet they you know they would say mon dieu sacré bleu uh you know what did you do all of a sudden you've lost uh, 17% of value in the company and i said no no this is this is this is just numbers and it's just currency. When, when you when you see the value of a company, its potential future cash flow uh, discounted, uh, it has an entirely different value. So, the the form of measure was inappropriate, and all we're doing with with this with this with this forward contract, contracting to buy a currency that will satisfy an obligation that I have today that I know I have to pay in the future. It's, it's just that simple.
1: Now, so it's knowing uh, what it's going to cost you by locking that price in.
2: Exactly, in,
1: in that currency.
2: and you know, But then you know, there are those people who uh, believe that uh, the dollar will rise or the dollar will fall, and they, therefore, take a strategy. Uh, they make decisions based on that. Now mm-hmm. that, that is speculation. And uh, when someone is in a business making television sets or furniture, I'm not in the business of foreign currency speculation. I'm in the in the business of, of making a product at the lowest possible cost at the highest uh, level of quality. And, uh, And I will eliminate all distractions. And foreign currency uh, disruptions are distractions. All I want to do is mitigate that, manage it, and and, uh, keep it at a minimum.
1: Let me just break here and remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you missed some of the prior shows, like the ones we did on alternative investments, or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on WealthDNA.us. If you'd like to an email reminder of the shows, you can just send me an email, Ron at WealthDNA.us. The... Uh, call-in number. There is a chat window under the radio player, and that's the easiest place to send in comments. Uh, there is also a call-in number, 917-388-4162. Our topic today is Forex trading, which we're discussing with Stanley Urban, a financial executive based in Poland. Stan, if, if I take that forward as one of the ways to afford contract or a future contract um, to, to, to hedge the currency, uh, in my first role uh, I was uh, when I was CFO over there, mm-hmm. Uh, as, you, as you mentioned, the, the hyperinflation currency was was at risk. Uh, fortunately, most of my purchases and sales were in, in the local currency, with one major exception. I had a commodity, cocoa beans I had to deal with in a, in a foreign currency. And I also had major equipment purchases. We're talking tens of millions of dollars that I had to make sure I had the money from the time we signed the contract until uh, that contract uh, would be fulfilled. It may take uh, you know six months or take a year to have that uh, piece of equipment in. So I was in a fortunate position. I actually had a fair amount of cash in the, on the balance sheet. So I would actually go and buy the physical currency in advance, knowing how much I was going to have to pay out, and therefore, again, lock in my price, not taking the risk. What are your thoughts on that strategy back then?
2: Well, that's a strategy that that a lot of people employ even today. People who plan on a vacation in in Italy or in Spain and in, in any euro country, they they uh, they look at the uh, relationship of the Polish to, to to the euro, and is it going to go up or is it going to go down? And all it is, it's a bet. And mm-hmm. if you're willing, if you're willing today to take the price that they offer you. For that currency today, or to take delivery of that price in the future at today's price, uh, that's your that's your choice. Uh, mm-hmm. What you are you are consciously doing is you're cutting your losses, uh, but you're uh, eliminating your opportunity for gain. And Correct. here is here is here is one thing that uh, a lot of people in the uh, A few years ago, when uh, uh, the currency was only going one way, uh, (laughs) the Polish uh, currency was only going one way up uh, because uh, Poland was the Green Island during the worldwide uh, uh, Great Recession, the only country in Europe that did not go into a recession, uh, technically. Uh, So all, all indicators were very favorable, and the banks began to sell. Options uh, which were speculative in nature, and perhaps they didn't understand it themselves, and certainly the uh, the companies buying them didn't understand that um, they stood to have a, a, a huge gain because as the currency as the Polish currency would strengthen, uh, so would their position. but when the Polish currency weakened uh there were consequences that uh, were unexpected. And we had a number of uh, um, Polish uh, Warsaw stock exchange companies that uh, went into default and uh, went into trouble and uh, had to be delisted.
1: As an I guess there's, a, there's an investment, uh, you know, make a key point. One of the investment uh, principles we keep in mind it's actually uh, part of one of the Ten Commandments is trees don't grow to the sky. And I thought I'd use that analogy given your business of, uh, of lumber. Uh, and, therefore, what looks like is going to keep growing, keep going up, just like housing in the U.S., eventually does reverse. And if you've taken a strong position, to, assuming they're going to keep growing to the sky, uh, you can find yourself in a fair amount of trouble at a huge leverage in the case of options
2: exactly and that and that's what's happened, and that's what's happened to a lot of companies and now people are taking a more sober approach to this. What is the purpose of this? in fact, I will admit uh because uh I was interested in a in a forward contract uh to buy the currency mm-hmm. uh, to fulfill a a debt instrument which i didn't focus on at the time of, at the interest rate because Right. You can not only just focus on the foreign currency itself, but on the interest rate ascribed to that currency. You, you know, you might have pay, pay a higher interest rate on a Polish zloty than you do on a U.S. dollar.
0: Correct. And
2: as a result, when you are hedging that currency, like it or not, you're also hedging on the direction the interest rate is going to take. And I didn't know about that, or I didn't uh, focus on that. And... Fortunately for me, I was uh, very, uh, very surprised at my huge gain at the time that I paid off, the, uh, paid off that debt, that term debt. So uh, I was lucky to get away with that. And it was when, when I did the um, variance analysis, tried to understand was it that I had such a huge foreign exchange gain? Correct. It wasn't the foreign exchange gain; it was the gain on the interest rate differential.
1: Good, good point. I had I completely forgot about that. I was going to maybe share one example that might also make that point uh, that you don't always make money on these. When I was with uh, another company, a financial company in uh, in Poland, we had a commitment. All of our incomes and costs were really in the uh, local currency, with one exception, we had a management fee we had to pay annually back to the parent company in the U.S. And so, therefore, I decided to buy one of those futures contracts. Uh, I looked at both options and futures contracts uh, to make sure that I had those dollars available at the time of uh, of that commitment, and knowing that there is a fair amount of variability, and at that time there was a risk the, the Polish as uh, well would weaken. So I bought that futures contract. Well, at the end of it, It turns out that these, what they had strengthened instead of weakened. So I had, in essence, had to buy the U.S. dollars at a higher cost than I could had I not had that futures contract. So in essence, I incurred a loss. But let me ask the question. Given I accomplished my purpose, I bought those dollars at... Uh, a price that I was willing to accept, and I had those dollars available uh, you know how would you see that as a hedge versus the fact that I really did take a loss and by the way, I did about eighty percent of the amount i didn 't do a hundred percent, so it wasn 't uh, you know it wasn 't as extreme as if I did by one hundred percent. but what are your thoughts on on both those aspects? not doing the full amount number one and secondly uh incurring losses on these things but still accomplishing your purpose I'll i 'll
2: take them in reverse order the the fact okay. that you, you had a, a bit of let 's say a bit of a loss on the transaction that 's not the objective in these in these um, risk management financial instruments. The objective is to minimize your risk in Correct. in the you know the five, the five hundred percent inflation days as soon as I got an invoice, I knew tomorrow it was going to cost me more so just by the fact that i wasn 't able to open the envelope early enough in the morning and and contract that afternoon for a purchase of that foreign currency, I lost money. So mm-hmm. the objective is to reduce, to minimize the risk associated with with those types of purchases. You know, you're not going to be 100% uh, right on all the time, but you're going to do the best job you can. That's one right. thing. Okay. With respect to... How much do you do? Uh, it depends on your appetite or your stomach for risk. Uh, if you say you did 80% of, of, of the amount in question, Correct. Uh, that, that, that is the str- I've heard that uh, 80%, and I don't think it's due to the Pareto rule of 20% of the items give you 80% of the value. It's just I've, I've seen that 80% used as a rule of thumb. But my problem has always been that it's uh, generally salespeople who say that they will achieve sales in a foreign currency at 100, and they don't even come in at 80. That's that's my problem. And all (laughs) of a sudden, I I have committed to this 80, which they haven't even come close to. So I'm left there holding the bag with currency that I don't have. And, right. and that that can be embarrassing. So the 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 fact that you don't cover 100% of your risk uh when you don't even have that risk you really have to know your company know what you're doing. Uh for example, if you plan on, a, you know, American plans on a trip to Europe and needs to buy euro, uh he has to think whether on his trip, he's going to be doing a lot of shopping. And if he's going to do shopping, uh, how much? And
1: mm-hmm. that's a question. So, Okay, fair, fair point. Uh, would it be fair to say that no matter which form of hedging we choose, it's similar to buying an insurance contract? And that's in my lead-in. I, I specifically mentioned the... the uh, um, situation of the london fire that really was kind of almost an insurance type of thing not a currency issue uh so if if i'm worried about having a car accident i have car insurance uh, you know insurance on my car if i don't have an accident it costs me money so i should have I, I would look back and say well damn i shouldn't have bought that that car insurance because it, it i lost money on it uh is that a fair analogy that's a that's a very good uh
2: Analogy, because that's, that's exactly what you, it, it deals with risk. You are trying to contain the risk and not let it go any further. I was... T- talk about risk in the good old days. Uh, uh, you, you reminded me, I filed the very first business interruption, lost profits claim in mm-hmm. Polish insurance history since 1939. And I don't think before 1939 there was... Uh, uh, lost profits or business interruption insurance. Right. Uh, the, the insurance company, which was the legacy uh, state-owned uh, insurer, mm-hmm. uh, was very quick to sell me the policy to take the premiums. And when when I had this flooding that occurred in, in the cooling uh, chambers of the uh, color picture tube plant, you know, they came in and they looked around and they said, "Well, it doesn't look like you've hit your hundred thousand dollar deductible,"
0: um,
2: because they were very good at property casualty insurance. I right. Said, no, right. No, you're right. You're right there. You know, we in fact, because we're close to the airport, uh, we even got a couple of uh, jet engines to to air out this this chamber, get the air circulating, and, and dry out these uh, these instruments. But the problem was. Uh, I had so many color picture tubes in the process. It was a fully integrated facility that uh, we made our, from sand, we made our own glass, electronic parts, and, and you just didn't turn it off. It wasn't a switch you could turn on and off. And anything, everything you had on the line had a useful life of perhaps eight hours, uh, the electronic guns did. Um and as a result, the loss was in the millions of dollars and uh um, and we we settled for it in excess of a couple of million dollars and it right. was the first claim of uh made and the first successful claim paid so uh so it's these things these were new instruments to the market, but uh if you think about what you're doing, why you're doing it, it's exactly that. An
1: insurance policy. Okay, and let me um, ask a couple opinions here on the various things we have talking about. A few, one, one opinion, and also, I guess, maybe define a natural hedge. We talked about it a little bit, but you know, you—I think you've got a pretty good definition. You've talked about this topic in, in, in past seminars. Uh, what do you mean by a natural hedge?
2: Natural hedge is if I've got if I've got costs and expenses in a currency dollar mm-hmm. uh and i have expected future revenues in this in that same currency dollar us dollar then and and both of those pretty much match up even though maybe not in time but they mm-hmm. match up over time then i am naturally hedged for example um i had a um that was the commitment from uh the investor when we restarted this RCA plant, uh, to put in $35 million. So they put in a 30, million, not $35 million, but a $35 million note receivable, which was revalued, right. devalued, uh, because the functional currency was the Polish zloty. You translate that into zlotys, and then the next day you just uh, incurred a 500, 000, 500% per year Inflationary loss, a devaluation. That doesn't make sense because I know I will eventually get thirty-five million Mm -hmm. dollars. And that's you've got those uh, incomes correct. Mm -hmm. I have I have that currency coming in in the future, and I know I will have to pay. In your particular case, you had to pay management fees in U.S. dollars. You're just matching your expenses with your revenues and and as long as they the timing it's all in the timing if you can time the receipt of your revenues in that currency against the the payment in that in that currency then you've got it made uh it's uh having both things happen at the right time is the whole uh is the whole clue to this so that's why you know the development of the supply chain Became very sophisticated. People needed to really work closer, work very uh, quickly with each other in order to ensure that make it happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How about now? I didn't call it this earlier. But how about the whole concept of self-insuring? In other words, just going ahead and taking the risk and not doing any hedge. Comments on that one?
2: Well, that by not doing anything, you have done something. You are now. Uh, allowing the market to dictate to you what you will pay. And uh, you you now don't control your destiny, your cost. The market does. And the objective was I'm in the furniture market or in the uh, consumer electronics market. I'm not in right. the financial markets. I don't want somebody in the financial markets to dictate my profit margin in, uh, in my manufacturing process. I want to eliminate this particular aspect of risk from this manufacturing process, the financial risk.
1: So if somebody thinks forex trading is risky, uh, they have to understand that not hedging is also risky.
2: That's correct. And then it's a question of how much risk you are willing to assume.
1: And that's what,
2: what, you, what you say is self-insurance. That's the same thing. Just like that auto insurance policy that you talked about if i don't take an auto policy out uh and i don't get in an accident well you know theoretically i have some opportunity cost i have i haven't i've spent that money but if i do have
1: if i total my car well then i do have a substantial loss correct and you have to pay for it for yourself. How about forex right. options? We didn't we didn't talk about in our examples as much. But what are your thoughts on the use of, of options uh, to this to hedge currencies?
2: This was this uh, this um, tool that that came on in the uh, uh, in the two thousand and eight two 2009, nine two thousand and seven in Poland. As a uh, as a uh, icing on the cake for people who got into foreign exchange, uh, it was an opportunity for them uh, to to earn on the on the upside.
1: Mm-hmm. If, uh,
2: I just I just wanted to limit my losses, I didn't want the product to cost me any more. But an option gave me an opportunity if that price did go up. If that currency did go up, that I would profit by it. However, if that currency went down, I had to come up with the money to match that. And as a result, this was the case of a a number of uh, Warsaw stock exchange companies um, getting into trouble. Um, One, I think, at least even uh, went bankrupt, and and some companies were delisted
1: as a result. Okay. And then the mm-hmm,
2: options God. were not fully understood.
1: Right. That that I, I think that's part of it. And we will be doing some shows on options and derivatives in general. Uh futures you talked about, the forward contract, uh, which can be uh, long or short. Um do do you use those often?
2: Only to the extent of very certain transactions. Uh this is I again I'm I'm you know, a very conservative guy and I'm in a business and uh and I focus on that business and I try to remove the, any distractions or or risks that are not inherent in the business. So, um I will take futures. Uh for example, you said cocoa beans or or mm-hmm. you know, there's probably timber timber futures as well. Uh, mm-hmm. if I <laughs> You know, the risk is you know right now the market is more of a risk, and I'm more concerned whether whether my my customers are going to be there rather than whether I'm going to have the wood to make the uh, make the furniture for, sure. for them. Right, right. So if if I was if I was you know like in, in the coffee business, I I think I would be uh, I think I would be uh, buying futures in in coffee. Yeah. But again, there are buyers. There are people who who understand those commodities understand those markets and and i don't and uh so i don't uh, get into that
1: Okay, uh, how about buying the currency in advance? Uh, we talked about the traveler example. I obviously did that when I was in my my first role there uh do you you do that often as and part of your natural hedge and in essence maintain that amount of currency when it comes in so if you have the u s dollars coming in and you don't have the cost at this point where you would hold the dollars as opposed to converting them and then back again- uh,
2: g- generally the objective is to keep it uh keep it as low as possible um uh, very, very. Uh, the cash balance is very, very low, and uh sometimes, as a discipline, I will take delivery of some currencies so that can't they can't be for anything else. Because once mm-hmm. I have it, it's it's devoted to that particular uh, spending. Uh, it, it depends on the, the type of management you find yourself dealing with.
1: Okay, and uh, I assume, uh, not, not in the company, but in your personal portfolio, a fairly new instrument is the Forex ETFs, uh, exchange-traded funds. Uh, are you using those at all in your own personal portfolio? To be honest, no,
2: no. No, I'm, okay. I'm an old-fashioned guy, and uh, I'm uh, I'm more into the traditional, well, at, at this point, I'm looking at more of uh income generating, uh, um, uh, dividend, uh, dividend, uh, you know, um, cap gain, uh, type of investments.
1: First. understand. Personally. understand. That's a, you're, you're going to love some of our uh, archive shows when you get a chance to, uh, to, to, take some break. I don't think you've had uh, any days off for this year. So, uh, I, I don't think you've had a chance, but uh, eventually you'll have a chance to listen to some of those shows. Um, Okay, let me just remind our listeners, especially those that just tuned in. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you missed an earlier part of the show, you can listen uh, on the archive. That archive is on www.wealthdna.us. Today, our guest is Stan Urban, a financial executive in Poland, brings us a wealth of experience in a number of financial topics, including foreign currencies, which we affectionately refer to as forex. Now. One of the uh, things, and, and I clearly want to get your perspective on some of the currency markets, but a large number of our listeners are based in the, in the U.S., and, and they've been patiently listening, saying, oh, this is all interesting, but you know, both of my costs and my incomes are all in dollars. Do I need to really care about any of this stuff? Uh, should I even you know, worry about Forex? What would your comment be to those listeners?
2: Well, it's uh, the the pe- before the people who would sell you a product were concerned about that you as a consumer would be unable to buy their product. Now it seems that what they've done is the the markets have turned around and, and have tried to eliminate some of that risk, that buying risk. I remember because I'm originally from Detroit in the mm-hmm. 70s when we had uh, uh, we used to call the non-American. Uh, manufactured automobiles uh if there was something happening to the yen then all of a sudden those cars became more expensive right well that's that's not happening now with with globalization and and uh, uh you know parts uh universal part manufacturing uh it's it's been there's been a level playing field introduced so Uh, in the in the old days in the traditional times where you would be buying a product that you knew would be coming from a foreign source you would have to be worried about that whether whether the um, uh, renminbi the chinese uh currency would be uh would be more expensive or not than and we, we hear we hear we hear that uh uh, complaints about u s exporters uh, that uh, those foreign currencies are are uh, artificially uh, manipulated in order to yeah. cause it a trade uh advantage and uh that 's something on a major scale international scale, which i don 't think affects the uh individual consumer uh, in the short run, but right. in the long run. Uh, it will come back to haunt us.
1: And they'll watch you on the show but to talk about hyperinflation, how you deal with it.
2: Well particularly you know the you know, we we've gone through that in Poland. Apparently uh when I when I was trying to uh, brush up on my uh my history of of uh inflation in Poland, uh there was apparently a uh eight hundred percent inflation rate between 1918 and 1924. So uh, not that history will always repeat itself, and the reasons for it will repeat themselves, but uh, you have to be uh, forewarned. Uh, There was no housing, for example. There was no housing bubble in Poland because uh, surprisingly there was never a well-developed mortgage uh, market and people would pay, uh, uh large down payments and the, the, the mortgages you would get would, uh, would be, uh, really tailor-made to your, your age, your uh, purchasing power, your, your projected salary increases. It was very well, uh, tailor-made.
1: One of the comments you you, you made just there that uh, history doesn't repeat itself, one of our guests has used the phrase, and I I repeat it often history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Yes,
2: it does. And, you know, it it, it rhymes with a different accent.
1: Correct, uh, exactly. It will change and and, and things will be a little bit different, but we've got to take a look at what's happened in history uh, for those things. Now, in this last segment, one one of the things I certainly and I'm sure our listeners want to get your perspectives on uh, the euro. You're, you're based over there. Poland is not yet on the euro. Uh, I've written articles that uh, one of the solutions for Greece is to get them off of the euro and back on the drachma, and I'm not saying that they need to uh, leave the euros, uh, the, the uh, EU per se, just, just off of the euro. Give us your thoughts on the future of the euro in general, uh, whether Poland should be uh, uh, moving toward adopting the euro, uh, whether other countries should be kicked out. I mean, what, you know, what do you see coming down the pipe? You're close than most of us are.
2: Well, just like in the world, we have the brick um, Brazil, um, Russia, India, China. Correct. In Europe, we have we have the pigs, and it's it just Correct. happened that Portugal, Italy, Greece, and Spain, you know, spelled pig.
1: Right. Uh, and oh, and Ireland the, too. So it's two two eyes actually. So it's Ireland <laughs> in there as well.
2: Okay. Uh, the, the issue is that. There's lots of emotion. There's too much emotion with, with the euro. Um, the polls now uh, talk about the euro as if this is like joining the European Union, for which there was a referendum in uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 2003, overwhelming acceptance uh, to sure. join the European Union. Uh, the uh, Poland's entry into NATO... Uh, and then six days later, uh, Polish troops being sent to uh, uh, then Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Correct.
2: So Poland has wants to be is part of Europe, and there's go, there there seems to be two types of Europe: the the ones that are making things happen, and uh, the countries that are watching things happen.
1: Correct. And
2: uh, there are some countries that are wondering what happened.
1: Um, the third type, now, exactly right. I like that. The,
2: the the problem is the one that have been wondering what happened. They they've really known all along. Uh, you know, we we can talk about anecdotes about. Uh, uh, there's more um, uh, price supports, agricultural price supports for land in Greece, than the entire uh, land mass of Greece. Uh, <laughs> so it it there, there's there's. It, it doesn't work. But, you know, the question, Poland into the Euro, now is not a good time. Um, in fact, okay. some people say that one, part of the reasons that Poland didn't get sucked into the, 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 the Great Recession was the fact that it was not uh, Euro-dependent. Good point. Uh, 70% of our exports uh, go to the European Union. We are part of this. Uh, we'd rather be part of the, the strong partners, and Germany is really a strong partner, mm-hmm. um, and is a strong proponent of the euro. When we are ready, when all of our basics are ready, and uh, when the uh, uh, the euro land is healthier and more stable, that would be a good uh, good time to join. It's okay. just. Uh, being part of the club, and so far Poland has done its more than its fair share in in many of these uh, clubs that it has entered. Well, it's also Euroband is the next one. Yeah.
1: Yep, definitely so. Now, at, at the same point, uh, part of maybe maybe it's the emotion, uh, but you know, we look at this euro as almost an experiment. You still have separate central banks. You still have separate economies in many ways, different cost structures, uh, and yet one currency. Uh, is that experiment a long term uh, in the long term likely to succeed, or is there still some risk that the euro uh, concept just doesn 't work because of all of those differences and the you know the strong countries and the weak countries and and you know it, it, as you use the term the uh, the pigs versus the ones that are holding the whole thing up uh, what are your thoughts? Is the euro uh, going to be around in ten, fifteen, twenty years?
2: I, I think it will be. It's 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 not an experiment that uh that can easily be unraveled. Uh there mm-hmm. were there were too many savings, there were too many benefits that arose from uh introduction of the Euro. In fact, uh, there's the the reasons why some countries like uh uh the UK did not join, uh although Ireland did. Um for, for very sovereign reasons uh, I, I know my banking friends uh, uh, do not like uh, necessarily the euro there are uh, it was estimated that there would be i won't say how much money but a lot of money lost in, in banking transactions. banking mm-hmm. in banking the banking industry would lose a lot of fees as a result of this. So, again, my perspective in reducing costs, maintaining costs, uh, reducing risk, this is another ass- way of reducing that risk.
1: Well, it clearly is. I mean, even in your foreign exchange, costs are reduced. Now, in your particular business uh, where you mentioned it's the U.S. dollar, and maybe that uh, are, are your particular risk areas, it may not affect you as much, but still some of the local purchases or sales uh, to within the Eurozone would reduce those a number of different accounts you you need to have and the number of uh, different transactions and the fees that the banks charge so I I, you know there clearly have always been advertised benefits on that side Uh, I just worry about somebody like Greece who Um, Frankly, one of the rationales I had in my article about them exiting is the fact that the the metrics that are used in the Maastricht Treaty and and, and all to say you are ready for the euro, uh, which you have to pass through, evidently was falsified. (laughs) Greece basically passed on information and economic statistics that were uh, adjusted, let's call it uh, nicely Uh, and that would be one of the rationales that said they weren't ready even though the, the numbers that were being passed in were, 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 uh, uh, said they were ready uh, and that uh, they really haven't proved themselves so that maybe exiting would actually help the euro in that it would uh, help stabilize and, and, and strengthen the other countries and maybe scare some of the uh, ones that are weaker uh, that they'll get kicked out if they don't get their act together.
2: Well, it's it's the whole concept of of uh, United Europe was not to kick kick out the bad boys. It was like to make every to increase the level, uh, mm-hmm. to, to increase the benefits, uh, not to lower the level. Uh, you do that through transparency and openness. And you know the good example I like to make is of the uh, Warsaw Stock Exchange. That the first site of the Warsaw exchange which opened up in 1991 was the former communist Party headquarters now, right. certainly not a very it's, it's ironic uh, and and sort of like in your face but uh, right uh, what was interesting because I had worked there with the phone company we had five floors in that building and uh, a building uh, across the way from us had all of its windows bricked up so that they could not see into our former Communist Party headquarters. That is what I would call a lack of transparency. Now, the new Warsaw Stock Exchange, which was built immediately adjacent to the former Communist Party headquarters, mm-hmm. is a, a clear glass structure where you can look in and see. So it's entirely different. Um and, you know, that what you called about Poland being the, the part of the new Europe, mm-hmm. it's ironic that, uh, and there used to be a, a joke, uh, what happens when you stand with your back to the Communist Party headquarters? Uh, you look out on a street, and the name of the street was called the New World, right. shot and, right. uh, and and it, that is so true as to what these changes are. Uh, have done for Poland and what uh, allow it to continue to uh, uh, on this panel.
1: Well, and it's also folks like you that brought some some good financial experience into the country that uh, allow it to keep uh, keep getting better. So I think those are all positives. Uh, Now, if some of our listeners have additional questions for you, uh, should they contact me or can I go ahead and give your email address out? Both.
2: Uh, I've I provided okay. you with my email address, yep, So sure you know, if anything comes to you, please pass that along to me as well.
1: Okay, will do, and I will just uh, mention on the air, because uh, those that listen on the archive will not be- get the chat window. I just put it in on the chat window, but it's urban, U-R-B-A-N dot Stanley, written out, S-T-A-M. N l e y at gmail dot com, uh, and 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 you can't expect uh, Stan, who works uh, probably as many hours a day as I do, to to answer every single email right away. But uh, I know he's pretty good at uh, at getting back to you, and uh, does does do a lot of things. Now we've covered a lot of ground today, uh, Stan. What did we miss, or what other comments would you like to share with us?
2: I think I think the basic idea was that. Uh, hedging, foreign exchange, these are all risks. And, uh, and if, if all we're about is just trying to manage that risk, this is one particular, I call it a distraction from business, because sure. uh, when the times were good and we were an exporter and the foreign currency was going up, the salespeople would be saying, what a great job they've done selling. Yep. Yep. But when the, the foreign currency goes down vis-a-vis my local functional currency, and the sales then become depressed, it's all the fault of finance. So what we attempt to do is we we attempt to uh, eliminate these types of distractions so that we can focus on the business of business, whether it's selling or manufacturing. Uh, it's just that simple I, I i hope i haven't oversimplified it because there's lots of very sophisticated techniques that you can sure. employ Um uh, but it, it it but my strong suggestion is that you really understand them uh because i've seen some people get hurt because they thought that uh not only can they uh eliminate the distraction but they uh, thought that they could get rich quick right On something that turned out to be speculative without even understanding that it was indeed
1: speculative. Very good point, very good point. So know why you're doing it before you start looking into the various uh, tools and make sure that the tools you're, you're choosing are appropriate for what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and, and let me just ask you on that, I mean, one of, I guess, the, the biggest risks of trying to use uh, a currency as an investment vehicle to make money is that you have to guess more often correctly than incorrectly as to the direction of that uh, currency, and uh, that's not easy to do. Is that a fair point?
2: It, that's one point. The other one is that uh, make sure you're if you're doing this, you're doing it in a currency that's not so exotic that nobody wants it. Uh, Liquidity. It should Mm -hmm. be, you have to look at the liquidity aspect of it uh, in order to uh, be able to get out. Uh, It's easy to get into an investment. Um, I've been in those that it has been difficult to get out of. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, fair point. And I think you, you started when we started the show. You also talked about even in the early days, the Polish wealthy wasn't uh, officially convertible. Uh, wasn't wasn't something you could you know move on the foreign markets at that time, uh, which made it very very difficult to hedge these kinds of risks.
2: Exactly, and and therefore there was a large premium associated with them. You you had to pay more for this insurance to protect yourself. Now Correct. it's uh, uh, now it's well, it's still expensive, but uh, much less so. Much less so.
1: Exactly. Well, Stan, really appreciate your time. We took even more time than I'd expected, but I think it was well worth it uh, for kind of an overview and, and, and maybe uh, almost a, a you know review back of, of a number of years you've been doing this and looking at real cases as opposed to talking theoretically. So I really appreciate that, and hopefully we don't have to have you on to talk about hyperinflation in the near future for uh, any of the Western countries, but we never know. But uh, hopefully you would join us again on, on some other financial topics if. Uh, If your time allows, would that make sense?
2: Of course, of course.
1: Excellent. Great having you, Stan, and uh, look forward to being in touch uh, on our regular basis. not regular enough, but uh, next time I'm in Poland, I'm for sure going to uh, come up to uh, Bidgosh and and visit that uh, explosion, uh, uh, Explosium, I guess it was called. Uh, museum Explosium, <laughs> yeah. Explosium, exactly so uh, the, the, the kind of Englishized version of that uh, I no idea some of that stuff so interesting amounts of history that I've still got to uh, take a look at when I'm over there so appreciate your being on with us thanks a lot Stan okay thank you for having me and good afternoon or good night Okay, exactly. We've covered a lot of aspects of foreign uh, trading and forex trading and hedging, so I'd like to take just a couple minutes to summarize some of the key points that uh, we made and maybe a few things that we should have uh, touched on as well. Part of the reason... Uh, that Stan and I tend to agree on a lot of these concepts, is we both come from the same perspective. We were not looking to invest and make money in those currencies. Our goal was to hedge to really reduce the risks at the companies we were responsible for the finances the Currency market we didn 't get into in, in detail, but I should have mentioned, so i, I don 't want to be uh, lax on this one. The one risk you do not have in the currency markets in general, again, unless you get into an exotic currency, which Stan just touched on, is there are over one trillion dollars of currency transactions daily, and if you like that at an hourly basis that 's about forty two billion dollars an hour. Uh, during, during the trading day, so liquidity risk is one of those things you don't have to worry about the the uh, markets are very, very active, much much larger than stock markets and bond markets around the world. The example that Stan used and I think' a real good one made a made a good point back in the old days, if you were looking at uh, buying a, a Japanese car at that time, we were considered you know foreign cars and uh, non american made especially if you're in Detroit, the car prices varied based on the value of the yen. We don't see that anymore, and part of the reason is you have more and more people like Stan back at the companies that are trying to manage that risk. So if they do see that risk, they're trying to hedge it so that they don't have their sales in the U.S. or their sales overseas don't fall dramatically as a result of currency changes. Or or the other way around, unfortunately, when, when the currency is in your favor, you don't earn that much more, but at least, again, they've avoided the risk. So you're seeing the use of these instruments within those companies much more actively done. Now, each of us, whether we want to admit it or not, are faced with some currency risk. Our purchasing power, even if we may not see that with those car prices dramatically, the strength of those currencies does have an effect on our portfolio. So an investor who only focuses on, let's say, investments in uh, uh, the U.S. or in the Eurozone uh, does not have a very diversified portfolio. Now, there is a flip side to that as corporations buy and sell more globally. And even in examples that Stan talked about, the stocks you own might indeed provide some diversification as long as their CFOs and treasurers think about that active hedging of currencies the way that Stan Urban does. Now, one of the best ways to hedge currency risk is, as he said, a natural hedge but if the, you're the average person as a consumer, most of your products you buy are made in other currencies, and that, cur- that company or that, that country may even trying to do hedge things. But you do have a risk, and let's say somebody in the U.S. or in Europe that eventually if the value of the U.S. dollar or the euro due to the money printing going on starts to devalue with the currency much more significantly than it already has, then eventually the Chinese renminbi strengthens relative to your income. So understanding that even though your incomes and your expenses may be in the same currency, you need to understand there are some underlying currency risks in the products you buy. So you almost have to understand where the products coming from and what is happening to the relative currencies. Now, another low-cost way to hedge currency is to maintain a part of your portfolio, at least some of it, a uh, cash in foreign currencies. A few months ago, I was doing a seminar in Phoenix, And I asked the participants, how many had accounts in foreign currencies or in foreign countries? In a room of 50 participants, only two of us did. So if I extrapolate that, and this is far from scientific, I would say that between 1% to 5% of the population have foreign currency accounts. Now, is it coincidence that about the same percentage of people are wealthy? I'll let you decide. Now, is it possible to hedge currency risk using financial instruments? Yes, as you just saw on the show, but most of them require a little bit more import, you know, level of sophistication. It turns out that there have been recently introduced uh, ETFs, and uh, I could even mention some of the uh, symbols. Most of them follow a very standard alphabetical sequence. FXA is the Australian currency, the Australian dollar. FXFXB is the... Uh, uh, British Pound, FXC, Canadian Dollar, etc., and on through FXY is the yen, obviously. Uh, then there are also currencies in some of the major ones, like the dollar, or some uh, ETFs that allow you to, uh, if you're optimistic about the dollar, you can buy a UDN. If you're pessimistic about the dollar, you can buy UUP. So there are ETFs. It is a simple way that you can do through your normal broker, or your brokerage account, you don't have to have a a specialized currency account, uh, which is really treated as a commodity. So there are some ways, things worth looking into if you haven't in the past, but first understand what some of those risks are. Now, is it possible to treat those uh, hedging instruments, if you will, as investments? Yes, but it is solely dependent on your skills in predicting the currency trends and your ability to track those currency markets 12 to 24 hours a day, five days a week. So it is a fast-moving market. You do have to you know, basically commit the time to be tracking it. So it's not something that you're going to want to do casually. It is something that a piece of your portfolio, you might want to have actively managed by somebody else. Now, in our upcoming shows, we'll have experts on commodities, a guest to share some insights on the education most financial advisors and financial planners have, and we'll touch on what – training they have in alternative investments that we've been talking about, and maybe we'll try to get somebody on who makes a living doing forex trading, and in essence, try to convince us that it is possible, or at least we would be easier to do through somebody that's managing it for us, rather than us trying to duplicate those skills. And remember, one of the best ways to increase your wealth tune into the show twice a month we'll share the investment fundamentals some great ideas to help diversify and grow your portfolio next wealth dna radio show will be the fourth monday of september that's september 23rd 9 a.m arizona time same place same time. And as soon as we have the lineup of guests and topics, you'll find them on wealthdna.us. There you'll find the archive of past shows as well. If you have comments on today's shows, suggestions, additional questions, or if you haven't received my emails reminding you about this show, just send an email to me, Ron at wealthdna.us. And again, you can send an email to me if it's a question for Stan. No problem. I will get that to him. Happy investing. And that just might include Forex trading or hedging.
0: You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com.